This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hello. So today I would like to tell you about protein-shaped transmission and protein aggregation. That sounds pretty exotic, right? Especially for those who are not in the field. So I'll tell you about how does that topic relate to your life potentially and why does it matter. So I'll tell you about our research, uh, how we contribute to this bigger question in the context. Um, and you will see that the talk will talk a lot about the question, the open question, very little about answers. And in fact, in science, knowing the question really having the right question that we are pursuing is the most critical aspect. So today, the protein tau will be uh, uh, the topic. It's a microtubule binding protein. And when things go awry in our body, in our brain, then this protein can form tangles in the, as deposit in our brain and really can be the hallmark of neurodegenerative diseases. So before I get started, for those who don't know uh, uh, what a protein is, perhaps, uh, proteins are long chains of amino acid put together in a specific sequence uh, to perform a particular function. Now, these proteins can be uh, strung together but have no defined shape. It can have a so-called secondary structure, as shown here with an alpha helix, a tertiary structure, or even quaternary structure by forming specific assembly. Now, you know many of the proteins uh, that are important. For example, antibody. These days, everyone knows well, how important antibodies are for the COVID-19 uh, uh, vaccine uh, as a result that our body generates the, a protein uh, that's an antibody or enzymes that carry out chemical reaction in our cell, or structural building block that form uh, tissue and, you know, the makeup of our body. So we are full of proteins. Now here, one of the protein is tau. And as I mentioned in the beginning, the tangles of tau in the neuron are hallmarks of the largest category of neurodegenerative diseases, including Alzheimer's disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, corticobasal degeneration, PSP, progressive supranuclear palsy, and the list is very long. Now, the uh, mechanism of that whole process, there is more unknown than known. It's going to be the theme. But the hallmark uh, once you have a deposit of these tau tangles in specific location of the brain, they are diagnostic. So unlike other protein aggregates, tau aggregate deposit is diagnostic. Once you have certain fibrils in certain location of the brain, that's how doctors know that patient had CTE. And I say had because it is sadly post-mortem almost all the time when you know definitively, right? But the current state of the art of this largest disease, neurodegenerative disease category is that there is no cure. 
there are not even reliable symptom-delaying therapeutics. Some of therapeutics have been in the news, but the uh, key word is reliable. It's not agreed upon that that is a worthy uh, uh, treatment, and the debate is still out. There is also no early diagnosis that's important, both for coping for the family and the, and the patient, but also for understanding uh, what the mechanism is, and no mechanistic understanding or no comprehensive and agreed upon mechanistic understanding, right? And that is key, and that's in fact the last mechanistic understanding that's missing is the important part that's missing to make progress. We know a few things other than that a tau protein deposit is um, diagnostic, so we know not necessarily that that is the cause, but we know that's where we should look, or at least begin to look. We know a few things. We do know that that protein shows so-called prion behavior. So what does that mean? When you take a protein from a patient and insert it in or in inoculate, uh, for example, a cell or a mouse model, then you can replicate that pathological property. I'll just keep it general, right? So something about the protein has property that when you take it from a pathological state and then bring it into a healthy mouse, for example, that that mouse can develop that behavior. Or in the cell, and you see aggregation being propagated that, has, that resembles that pathological property. So we know the proteins are important and they propagate something. What is that something? What is the molecular mechanism of aggregation and differentiating between the strain that are either representing different diseases or perhaps some are disease relevant, some are not? Okay? So in that whole process of understanding, one really needs the beginning, the middle, or the end, to begin to figure out uh, therapeutics. And recent breakthrough in cryoelectron microscopy at least gave us, just a few years ago, the end point. So uh, uh, scientists have taken post-mortem uh, tau deposit from post-mortem patient, and managed to determine the structure of the tau protein as deposited. And when the structure came out in 2017, I was actually in that conference room listening for the first time the revelation of that. A whole, like, I felt like the room was just stopped breathing for that moment just because the structure was so different. It was stunning different from what we had imagined. It's really seeing is believing, because once you see the structure, you know, aha, that's what the end structure looks like. Equally stunning was when you take the same or similar tau protein, a different disease called Pick's disease, not Alzheimer's, the fold was entirely different, but also unique to that disease. And I'm here showing you rulers across the same amino acid of the tau, just to illustrate that really at the molecular level, the distances in the sub-nanometer or nanometer scale are just different. There are molecular differences in the way this protein fold, and something about that structure then is representing or hallmark 
of different diseases. Meanwhile, there are more papers that came out since 2017, often from the same group, but also others, that really show that there is a structure-based classification of tauparties. So really, the molecular structure of the protein seems to differentiate between the different uh, diseases. So it's really a breakthrough discovery. But this breakthrough discovery are still at the end the static final fiber. One cannot develop therapeutic strategies using final fibrils. It can give us leads because there could be computational approaches. It gives us ideas, but it doesn't give us a target. Why? Because you can't take post-mortem patient tissue and screen drug molecules on the patient tissue. That doesn't work. You have to be able to replicate to study and discover and develop. Okay? So the development of therapies for tau bodies absolutely require the faithful replication of disease phenotypic tau fiber. And that has never been done before, achieved before. And that is really, really an important point because decades of studies later, hundreds of research laboratories, thousands of researchers work on tau, including us. Yet, so far, not the, the whole pathway even by accident or trial and error, let alone rationally, has never been replicated before. Okay? So we and others are working on that question. Okay? Now, even though the actual replication hasn't been successful yet, and even though the mechanism is not known, nonetheless, drug discovery efforts are ongoing in big institutions in U University of Pennsylvania, UC San Francisco, Big drug development efforts are ongoing. So how do they do this? They carry forward with a so-called strain propagation hypothesis. Okay, it's a, it's not it's very plausible. It's actually not verified, but it's plausible. Okay, what they do is they take so-called cell factories, cell lines. They have a parent seed that could come from a patient material, and then they replicate and amplify, and they generate daughter fibrils. So then with that cell factory, you're taking a patient material and multiplying it many, many fold. That does become a viable target then, right? The problem is there are so many unknowns. In fact, those directors of that big effort would, uh, with whom I talked would, would absolutely agree that, for example, does the daughter fiber actually have the same structure like the parent fiber that hasn't been answered yet because the structural determination for example by cryo em of the daughter fiber is really not easy because it's much more dynamic and heterogeneous not easy to do of course people are working on it okay so Mechanistic handle to achieve the convergence to any unique tau fiber needs to be developed so i said the question whether the daughter fiber looked like the parent fiber is not known, right? So let's think about what is so difficult about the process to understand. What makes it so difficult? So let's, let's look at tau. Tau is what is known as an intrinsically disordered protein in solution state. In other words, it doesn't have a, sp sp a particular shape. Think of it like spaghetti. Okay, You have a bunch of spaghetti. And something happens. We know what to do empirically we know, and they make fibrils. But we learn from cryo-EM and from the many, many amazing studies that it 
it really needs to be a specific shape. So how does that work? What do you need? The challenge is, first of all, you have to enhance the tau-tau interaction because they have to come together and stack into fibril, right? Second, it's not enough if they just stack. They have to neatly stack in register. In register meaning the same position has to need, the same position have to stack in order to propagate, and that's how the structure looks like. And third, it's not enough if they stack like a pancake in register. They form very specific fold. And so here I have a picture that you might re be able to rela uh, uh, relate. Oh, let me go back. How or how do you make yarn or spaghetti, doesn't matter, braid and stack all by itself into perfect shape? Imagine how difficult that is, right? Imagine spaghetti or yarn, and they, are, they, are, they do braid and stack all by itself into a perfect shape. How does it work? Of course, proteins are not yarn balls, so they do have interaction, and that is something we are trying to figure out. Now, in order to study, though, that process, going from disorder to structure, from the yarn to a yarn ball, okay? We need tools that can image them. The faithful replication of disease phenotypic tau fiber really rely, rely on structural biology tools. When it comes to the structured end product, there are many um, techniques out there, or I shouldn't say many, but there are techniques out there such as crystallography, NMR spectroscopy, cryo-electron microscopy. So many, many structures are in the protein data bank. But... When it comes to disordered proteins like tau, or partially disordered protein that you would have in the intermediate state, those structures really are not studied. Only few intrinsically disordered region or protein structures are in the protein database. So that's where we come in. Okay. So my group has unique um, experimental approaches to capture molecular structure within a dynamic ensemble, so that's a mouthful. So what does it mean? When you have disordered proteins, actually the proteins are not like spaghetti. In the sense, they do have feature. They do have preferred shapes. They do have specific interaction. It's just that they look like spaghetti because they are all disordered, and it's not easy to see unless we figure out a way to describe the ensemble, okay? So we have, among others, uh, a tool called double electron electron resonance DIA. We can put labels at the at certain position of the protein. So let's take a molecule that's very stiff, just as an example. We can put labels at the end. Let's see, okay. And then you would have a very defined distance. But because the, even the stick is a little bit moving around, there is a bit of a distribution. So what you see he, here is. 4 nanometer, 4.1 nanometer, a very specific distance with a little bit of width because of that flapping motion that the molecule will have. What about a polymer? Let's take polyethylene glycol, PEG. Many of you might have heard that too, labeled end-to-end. -end. Now that can take all sorts of shape, right? So accordingly, you have a broad distribution, okay? Now, tau will start out like PEG, but will have then, will adopt more intermediate structures that we wish to capture. So how would that work? Let's just think about it conceptually. So I have a protein. I told you that's a sequence of amino acid, tau. I put pairs of label around certain segment that I think will fold and make, make, make stacking happen. 
So initially they are disordered, I have a broad distribution. I do something to it, add a cofactor, chemical modification, seed, etc. There are many tricks that many of us uh, uh, use. You do something, and let's say you have this structure. Then you have this blue distribution because the labels are now around that loop which makes the distance go to a shorter distance and a whole distribution narrower. So if you have a hypothesis that the seeding of the parent fibril that might look like that should make the daughter fibril gradually look like that too, we can monitor that. We put labels on and monitor, is that shape emerging? Okay. So this whole uh, measurement is called probability distribution of distances. And the idea of measuring a probability distribution of distance is quite different from the traditional structural biology where you have a distance because you're assuming there's one structure. Here are thousands and thousands of different structures. So that's, that's how we are trying to characterize the protein. So let's apply this tool now for specifically for tau. And let's do that hypothe I mean conceptually, okay? I'm showing you here protein fold, a cross-section of the fibril of tau in different diseases as discovered by cryo-electron microscopy, Alzheimer's disease, uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CBD, PID, PSP. Okay? So now I take labels, pairs of labels, and label site 273 or 305 to, uh, let's look at a number, different sites, okay? I, I, let's say I labeled the site 305, 328. So you see, depending on which fibers have formed, the distances are all very different. So I have a signature. If I now next label 378, 340, again, they are unique. If I label 373, 351, I have a unique distance. So this is summarized in this probability distribution of distance plot. What you see is labels such as 351, 373, okay, give me unique distances where I have formed an Alzheimer's tau fibril, a CTE tau fibril, a CBD tau fibril, etc. So I have a way of tracking what is forming, or maybe I'm just forming a broad mess. That's also possible, and that's also good to know if that's what's happening, but you think you're making Alzheimer's fibro, but in reality it's making a mess. Then it's something we need to know, right? So, um, now, what approach do we take? So in my lab, we take two approaches, uh, uh, namely one is the seeded fibrilization and propagation process. That is the approach that currently drug discovery efforts are relying upon anyway. So now we are going ahead and really trying to understand, is it is the daughter fibril like the mother fibril? Or maybe, if so, which part? Everything? That's a question, right? Or what does it take? And second, I would say build from scratch. This is sort of the bottom up. You could say this is a top-down approach. We take something that we think from the patient should be like a, a disease fibril and figuring out whether we form it. And the second one is a bottom-up approach where we try to build the relevant structure from scratch based on our understanding of chemistry and molecular uh, properties. So let me give you just a couple examples. Uh, uh, one in the seeded 
fibrillization approach and second in the uh, uh, build from scratch approach. So here we have a long-standing um, beautiful collaboration with Professor Amanda Werman at UMass Amherst. She's an assistant professor there. The collaboration started in fact when she was a postdoc in Stan Prusner's lab at UCSF. In fact UCSF, that center, is one of the big drug develop, uh, discovery, you know, centers for for uh, tau tau diseases, tau party diseases, right? So we take from her these so-called cell-derived seeds. So I mentioned to you earlier that drug discovery efforts go ahead anyway with what they call cell factory, right? You take the patient material, you then make the cell amplified with the with the cell internal tau and make aggregate. So she did that and we get the product of it. So supposedly the daughter seed, right? That's supposed to have then that CBD disease property. And in fact, you know, the reason this is, even though we don't know why it works, some of it is working because you can take that daughter seed and actually replicate pathological property. So anyway, we take that material and test them in vitro. They do everything in vivo, in vivo meaning in the mouse and in the cell. We do it in vitro in, in the laboratory, okay? So one thing I can say is there is an assay where the y-axis tells us fibers are forming or not. We add seed and I can tell you over time, indeed we make aggregate. So that's already a good sign that that part in fact took a while to establish. And now let's look at this distance measurement that I have told you so much about, right? So we labeled a tau at position 351, 373. And we know if it formed a CBD structure, like the, the mother uh, material come from originally, then we know we should get a distance shown here in black. But when we do the experiment, here's what we get, red, you can see that whatever the details are sort of uh, um, maybe too much, but you see the red is completely different from the black. The red is so-called heparin-induced fiber. That's the conventional approach, but uh, uh, not seeded. In blue, you see the seeded uh, approach. Now, it's completely different. And, and second of all, at least a seeded approach encompasses the CBD distance. So that's great news. So the great news is it looks like we are perhaps replicating some of that property, but you also see it's broader. There's something else in there too. If you look at the distance, 340, same idea. We seem to be encompassing the CBD structure, but there might be an additional structure that's already there. So that's a good starting point, okay? Now, second, build from scratch. In order to build from scratch, you need to dissect the problem into a smaller piece. Tau is too big to build from scratch the fiber. Other people tried. We are trying to actually, but at the same time, we need to reduce the problem. So we take a tau that forms these amazing structures in the CBD brain, and we take a small piece out of it, okay? A small fragment. And we are studying them with and without a disease mutation. And here is uh, for the chemist out there, for those who are interested in chemistry, it's one single mutation, one amino acid. And that mutation is in every single cell model, mouse model, and tau model out there because without that mutation, it doesn't work. 
right? So we actually took the fragment with and without the single mutation. I can tell you, you need that mutation to have more fiber and beautiful fiber, okay? So study is still ongoing, uh, and I'm not showing you that P of R distribution because it, it is an ongoing study, but you get the idea how we have to reduce the problem. And one important reason, for example, why do we need to replicate a disease-specific uh, fiber is shown here. For example, for early diagnosis, PET imaging, positron electron tomography, is important. But you need a target. You need a ligand that can target the tau fiber. So what do we need? We need to be able to develop PET ligand, and for that you need a target. And the target really cannot be patient material. And so if you have fibers that are uh, disease-relevant, then we can develop chemicals, PET ligands, that lit up the brain if you have that uh, pathology, right? So uh, the questions that we can then answer is, where is the PET ligand binding actually in the tau? It's not known. What is the structure? And what is the mode of interaction? How does it bind? Hydrophobic, shape, and so on. That is very important for those therapeutic developments, okay? So let me... Um, uh, skip some of the details and uh, t tell you, I hope you have gotten the idea what the question is, right? Oftentimes when you're not a researcher, you're seeing, oh, they, oh there's, there are so many thousands of people working on it, they must know a lot. And the reality is, the more you study, the more you research, the less we realize how, how little we know, right? So I hope I've given you an idea, how little do we know about this neurodegenerative diseases that is affecting so many people around the globe. Second, I hope you have understood that really there is a need for chemistry, chemical understanding, molecular understanding, combined with advanced instrumentation, cryo-electron microscopy or my tool called uh, dipolar magnetic resonance spectroscopy is absolutely needed to even make a dent together with biomedical research that has to tell us what are the factors, what are the modification, what are the mecha I mean, uh, materials that we need to study. Okay, So the biomedical, physical, instrumentation, chemistry all play a role in this quest of uh, developing better strategies for um, um, neurodegenerative disease studies. Okay, So with that, let me come to my acknowledgement. Oh, this is actually important, so we hope we can replace the mouse with a laboratory uh, screening method. That's the idea. And let me acknowledge uh, my collaborators, Ken Kosick, close collaborator, as well as Professor Joan Shea and Scott Shell, who are working with me, uh, uh, Judith Steen, of course, Amanda Wehrmann, many, many uh, uh, collaboration, as well as my students. Uh, Dr. Jan Fischu, Kate Zeng, and Michael Weigers played a particularly important role, and many other students who are really contributing to this uh, uh, quest. And then important is funding comes from National Institute of Health as well as the Tau Consortium. And thank you for your attention. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.